morning. Welcome to all you joining us online today. I'm excited to uh, bring this message to you this morning. Throughout this series, I've likened these mornings to that of a T25 workout. Some of you don't know what that means, so I'm going to explain. Uh, I do some beach body stuff every now and then. Not a lot, because it's, I hate it. But um, a T25 is a 25-minute workout that's super intense. You go through this five-week program, and by the time you get done, supposedly you'll be physically ripped. Uh, I'm yet to experience that, but at any rate, uh, you get the gist of what we're going after. Well, in these messages, I've likened them to uh, a T25 workout, spiritually speaking, where for 25 minutes, we're just going to really, really engage uh, with the Lord and some tough questions, some weighty questions each week, and hopefully we come out the other side uh, spiritually ripped, a little bit more built up in our spiritual person. And today is no different. We're going to look at these two questions. These are our big questions today. How could a loving God send people to hell? Frequent question that's asked. Oftentimes people, when they ask you, think, gotcha. If you have a loving God, why does he send people to hell? And and a a closely associated question to that one is this. Isn't it narrow-minded to say that the only way to God is through Jesus? These two questions are sister questions. They kind of go hand in hand. I want those questions to percolate in your soul for a few moments. I want to take us through this really needed sequence of thinking. It's a sequence that Kevin Meyer presented, who's the author of Growing Up Faith, in one of his messages. And I want to just share some of what he shared and, of course, put my own twist on it, because I think it gives us a really critical perspective to really address these questions. Would a loving God send people to hell? And isn't it narrow-minded to think that the only way to God is through Jesus Christ? So I want to take us through this sequence. Will you go with me on this? I know it's your tendency to daydream. I'm, I'm one of you. So I want you to just tune in for a few moments. I want you to engage in this sequence. I want you to think of it in a, in a personal way for yourself, okay? So here we go. Um, here we begin the sequence. Have you ever had anyone pay your way for anything? If so, raise your hand. If you're at home, raise your hand to engage with us. Yeah. Um, whether it's a cup of coffee or maybe a breakfast or uh, something like that, it's really a blessing when someone pays for us. Kevin Myers was sharing that he and his family were at Ted's Montana, um, the bison place, and they were having a meal, and he called the waitress over after the meal was over and said, hey, I'd like to get our bill if I could, and the waitress responded by saying, no need, it's already been covered. Someone had paid for their meal. And Kevin says, aren't those wonderful moments? You're like, well, thank you very much. And he began to look around the room to try to figure out who it was. And the waitress says, oh, they've already left. And Meyer said, oh, that was so kind. But honestly, he said, we already had it covered. We were planning on paying for the meal. So it was really a nice blessing to have the meal paid for. But it wasn't a necessity. You get what I'm saying here? It was just kind of like a kind act that blesses your soul. And so that's one level of receiving. It's, it's a blessing. You maybe think, I could have done this myself. But... What a kind act. Amen, right? Let's go to level two. Have you ever had anyone pay your way when you couldn't pay your way? Anybody? Uh, Hold on to that thought because every one of you have had this happen to you. You just don't know it yet. I'm going to tell you why in a few moments. Kevin Meyer shared this story in his own life. He said, uh, my parents had recently been divorced. I was living with my mom. We were financially in trouble. And... I had the opportunity to go to Walt Disney World and to the ocean because of the benevolence of another family. He said this family that had befriended us 
came to our family and said to me specifically, listen, Kevin, our family's going down to Florida, and we're going to go to Walt Disney, and we're going to go to the ocean, and we would like you to come with us. You don't have to do anything. We're going to pay for everything. We just want you to come and have this experience with us. All expenses paid. Now, if you were a 10-year-old boy or girl, would you have taken somebody up on that trip? You can raise your hand if you think you would. I would have jumped at that thing. Come on now. Wouldn't you have gone to that if it was free especially? And Kevin said it was amazing. Um, Have you ever had someone pay for something that you couldn't do yourself? He had that experience. By the way, I'm going to suck you all in right now. Every one of you have had this experience. It's called being a child and having parents. They pay for everything for you. Amen? You may not recognize it when you're five years old, but that mom and dad thing is pretty significant in your life. They pay for everything. Someday you'll figure that out if you're a child right now. Kevin Meyer said has one more level, though, that he wanted us to go to, and I want us also here to go to this level today. He said he saw a, 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 a TV show, a newscast, um, that was a two-story that just captured his heart. Listen to this. It was uh, CNN that told the story. It was about five-year-old Vincent and his family and a group of relatives that were walking and hiking in uh, uh, Sequoia National Park, having a great time, uh, beautiful day, walking along the river, which was uh, raging and a lot of white water and all that kind of thing, when all of a sudden, little Vincent, five-year-old Vincent, slipped into the water. He was on some rocks to the water, fell into the water, and it, it was just, it was white water rapids, and it was apparent that little Vincent was going to perish. And the family began to run down the bank with them trying to get him out, but they couldn't get him out. And then 22-year-old Victor, a relative, decided to jump in to try to help Vincent. The problem was Victor could not swim, neither could Vincent. So here these two are going down this white rapid river, and, and Victor had, I mean, excuse me, Vincent had grabbed a hold of Victor and was really hanging on to his neck. You know, have you ever had, been with someone in the water that's afraid of water? They get the death grip. You know what I'm talking about? I went through life-saving class, classes swimming, and they tell you about when you're, when you're trying to help somebody who's drowning, they will choke you to death because they're so afraid. I did not realize how real this was until I did the baptism of a girl at Spring Lake Park who said she was afraid of the water, but I didn't know how afraid she really was of the water until I had her out there and I was dunking her and she grabbed a hold of my back of my, my tricep right here, you know what I'm saying? With her fingers like this and I'm putting her down, I'm going, ha, ah, ah, and I put her back up, I look down, I'm not kidding you, five blood spots. She had just clamped those fingernails through my skin and right into And I'm going, oh my goodness, Beth, you are afraid of the water. You know what I mean? And so little, little, little uh, Vincent had this death grip on Victor. And so they're running along. They're bobbing up and down. They're going up and down. And finally, um, as the story is told, uh, uh, Victor gave one push of Vincent towards his dad. And his dad was able to grab his hand. And then Victor went. He was gone. And they found his body. Two hours later, he was dead. He drowned, saving his relative from, from perishing. That's a different level of gratitude. Amen? Down the road, little Vincent's going to realize what his life is about, or you know, the meaning of, of what Victor had done for him. At the time, being a five-year-old, he probably didn't really get it. But I can guarantee when he's 10, 15, 20, he'll begin to have this gratefulness in this heart for what his relative had done for him. Well, get this. You know where I'm going with this a little bit if you've been around the things of Christ. 
you and I, we're not in category one or two when it comes to our dependency and need of God. We're, we're people in a raging river of sinfulness, and we're drowning, and we need a rescuer. Amen? And really, Jesus is our victor in our life. Amen? He has rescued us. Unless you have that perspective, I want you to hold on to this as I share with you today. Unless you have that perspective, you're never going to really be able to address these two questions. Why would a loving God send people to hell? And isn't it narrow-minded to think that the only way to heaven is Jesus? Unless you understand your desperate need of Jesus Christ and that you need to be rescued, you're going to answer those questions wrongly. And so that's kind of our warm-up, but I want to give you this critical perspective. Jesus rescued us when we could not rescue ourselves. You have to understand that. No matter how good a person you think you are, you aren't that good. And you need to be rescued. Amen? Every single person needs to be rescued. And here's what Kevin Meyer said in the same message. I just have to quote him because it's so good. He said, people think, you know, why would a loving God send people to hell? But here's what he said. We would have to crawl over Jesus to get to hell. We have to just ignore God's provision. We have to just say, I don't want it. Because he's made it so available, amen? That we really have to crawl over Jesus to get to hell. So even the question maybe is posed wrong. Uh, So now we have some perspective. It's like we're doing T25. I don't know if you've done some of these workouts. But like the first couple minutes or five minutes, they just kind of warm you up and get you ready to do the real work. That's what we've done thus far spiritually. Now we're going to get to the real work. We're going to um, really talk about, you know, uh, Jesus Christ here for a few moments, all right? So just prepare your hearts. We love options, don't we? Do you love options in your life? Come on, we know we love options. Some of you own a Ford. (laughs) Some of you own a Chevy or a GM product. Some of you who are desperate own a Dodge. Oh, arr, we like our options, don't we? I've had some dodges in my life. Um, anyway, um, look at sports. Some of you are Packer fans. Anybody Packer fan in here? It's good. You, boo, there we go. Well, it's a good year to be a Packer fan. They're winning. I may jump. No, I will never jump on that bandwagon. Anyway, some of you are Vikings fans, right? Yep, and the year 2020 just continues in its dismal reality, right? It's pretty sad. Some of you are cowboys. Oh, my goodness. I cannot say that from this platform. So if you heard it, good for you, but I cannot say that. I, uh, I have been watching the Chiefs with some interest this year simply because I like red. And they're very red teams. So uh, anyway, is it any wonder that... Our culture struggles with this idea that Jesus is the only way. Come on now. Think about this. We're a culture of options. And when we tell people there is no option to God other than Jesus Christ, is it any wonder that our culture struggles with this? And this brings us to this big thought. Now we're getting into the workout, okay? And we're getting some heavy lifting now, all right? Listen to this big thought. Jesus proclaimed he is the narrow way. He made that proclamation. He made it. If we want to have the right biblical mindset, 
We have to understand, Jesus proclaimed he is the narrow way. He was so clear in this teaching. For instance, John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want us to read that out loud together. You should memorize John 14, 6. When you're tempted to say and go along with our culture that says there's many ways to go to God, you need to quote this to your mind because there aren't many ways to God. So say it out loud with me. Here we go. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if you're at home watching online, you need to say that out loud also. So we're going to say it one more time together, all right? And even if you're at home online, I want you to say it with us. Here we go. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You need to memorize John 14, 6. Because culture will constantly say this is not true. Will constantly tear this thought down. This last three weeks, I've been gone, vacationing. And um, Pastor Aaron did a great job. I listened online on the phone, my phone. It was great, great message, Aaron. It's just really good. Um, good service and stuff. So I'm relating to the online people. I love that option that we have as a church. I think we do that really well. Um, but I'm traveling all over to Utah. We went hiking. Vicky and I like to go on these hiking trips, right? And so I'm using my Google Maps thing all the time. Do you guys use those? I have no pride anymore as a man. I just want to get there. I don't care what the means is. And so I use Google Map, Apple Map, whatever works. And so I'm constantly putting in the destination, or Vicky does it, and we follow. And it's just so nice, right? Because you don't even have to think anymore. It just tells you where to go. It's kind of nice. So I've Googled all over. So we went to Utah, and then we went to Hill City on our way back, sort of, to do a wedding. And it was 17 degrees and snowing out while we did the wedding, kind of in the blizzard. And I said, you still going to do this outside? I said, yes. I said, okay, it's going to be short. So they did it outside in Hill City in kind of this snowy, you know what it was like because you were having it here, amen? I thought I could avoid it, but I couldn't because I had to drive right back into it to do that wedding. So then we headed up north to Tioga uh, to visit my daughter. Guess what? I got to drive through a blizzard. Yay, right? But I looked at going home to Brookings. You were having the same thing. So I thought, oh, why go home? I'll just go through this blizzard. It was a nightmare. So I uh, got up there. It was two degrees. Yay. But Google Maps, getting me everywhere I need to go. Tell me where to go. And then it went over to Brainerd. It was snowing there too, guys. So you know what? It's just snowing everywhere. So you didn't get picked down here in Brookings. This is happening all over. But here's the thing I want to I I get at the point I want to really make here. If I had a heavenly Google system that would tell me how to get to heaven, and I put in heaven, you know what it would say for my directions? Jesus, period, amen, right? Jesus is how we get there. He is the narrow way. He is the only way. Every other way will take you down some dirt road that you don't want to go on. I've been there too. Sometimes Google doesn't know exactly where you're at, and it says, go down this road. I said, we're not going down that dirt road. Amen, you ever been there? Or uh, anyway. So I found that when it comes to Religions, people tend to fall into two general categories if they don't fall in the category that Jesus is the only way to heaven. First general category is uh, there's a, a real denial of a, a personal creative God, a creator God, and th- th- there's more of an idea that there's a spiritual higher power, some kind of cosmic you know, spirituality, but there's not a God who knows your name. A lot of people fall in this category. It's called Star Wars. And people, more than you would think, form their, their thoughts about God from stuff like that, more than we want to acknowledge. 
and such ones think, well, there's something out there, but it's fuzzy and blah, blah, blah. Don't really know what it is. And, and you and I should never fall in that category. Amen. Our God knows our name. Amen. We're Psalm 139, people. He's made us. He's created us. He's knit us together in our mother's womb. You know, all our days are known by him. He knows us. We need to be convictional on that in our culture right now that doesn't know anything when it comes to true spirituality. And then there's this other group. Boy, there's a lot of people that fall in this other category. They know there's a God, but they think they have to earn their way to him somehow. By being good, by having the good ledger outweigh the, the bad ledger in their life. What a burdensome way to try to do life. To think, I got to be good enough to get to heaven. Not, and lest you think this is a, not very much. It's all over. It's all over out there. Major religions really truly believe this. Very works-oriented. Works um, but our big picture that we've been looking at for weeks now in this series points us to this idea that we have a God who came to us. His name is Jesus, God incarnate. He's made a way back to God. He's rescued us from our sinfulness. He's pulled us out from the river. He's shoved us onto the shore. He said, there you go. You have life and life to the full. And if we don't understand that we need to be rescued, we don't need options. What do we need? Rescuing. We don't need a bunch of options. We're desperate. We're drowning. When I'm drowning in the river, I don't say, what are my options here? Would you say that? I'd say, give me your hand. Get me out of here. We were, um, we were scaling. We went to Peekaboo and Spooky Canyon in Utah. They're, they're like super narrow. I mean, you're like, you're like slot canyons, anybody? These are like three miles long of slot canyons. And they're like this wide. I mean, I'm going, <laughs> sucking the gut in to get through them and climbing over stuff. And uh, to get into the, to get into, um, to get into the, uh, the canyon stuff, you have to like scale up a 50, and Dave Hope would like this, because he's like a monkey, I don't know how he does it, but I'm going, that's like 15 feet up, how do you get up there, there's no rope, you know, and so I had my wife go first, <laughs> okay, let me clarify that for you, she weighs about half of what I weigh, and she's going up, and I go, I'm just like pushing her up, you know, to get her up there. So then I get up there, and you get to the, you kind of get to this ledge, and you got to get to this other ledge, and then there's a third thing. You get up there, and she got my head and said, don't let go. I said, right now, because I was just like 15 feet down on the rock. Pull, 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 you know. So we got up there and said, man, we're getting old. This is really, if anybody watches, they'd say, what a pathetic couple. <laughs> so we get into this canyon. I should have known it was nightmarish to walk through this thing. But there are points where you're just helping each other, and there's no, there's no humility here, or pride, I should say. It's all humility. Help, 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 right? When you need to be rescued, it's a whole different perspective. You don't have pride. You just want to be helped. If we don't understand we're level three people, this kind of a question is going to trip us up. Isn't Jesus the only way to God narrow? No, not if you need to be rescued. Not if you're dying in your sins. Not if you're drowning in the water. It isn't narrow. It's only narrow if you think you have options, if you think you're a level one or two person. And you think you have options. And we don't really have those options. So let me give you this in a point. Most other religions either deny the existence of, the, of a personal creator God or require human beings to rely on their own efforts to become holy. And the question behind these two questions of, you know, that I 
talking to you about. Why would a loving God send people to hell or isn't the way to heaven by Jesus kind of narrow-minded? The question behind those questions really is, why is Jesus so special? Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus told us why he's special. First of all, he said this about himself. Jesus said he was the Messiah. Listen to this, uh, which when I say Messiah, I mean Savior or Liberator. Um, Listen to what what Jesus says in Luke chapter 4. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had uh, been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll. It's just dramatic. He rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing Jesus said I'm the Messiah Aaron talked about that here in the the opening message he was the promise to Abraham he said I'm the promised one the blessed one that God promised to Abraham I'm Messiah he proclaimed that he made it known then if that's not enough he just plainly said I'm God This is point two. Jesus said he was God. Listen to what he said in John chapter 8. I'm going to read some selected scripture to you from this chapter. And Jesus said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And he gives a bunch of explanation. I'm going to jump down to verse 58 now. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. That's another way of saying I'm God. Amen? So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They were so mad at this proclamation because they knew what Jesus was saying was, I'm God, that they were ready to stone him for saying this. So Jesus declares, I'm Messiah. Jesus declares, I'm God. He's the narrow way to God. So why would we believe him? Could he just have had a messianic complex a lot of people have had that why would we say we give them credit for doing this or we you know believe them um and usually i've done this at christmas but christmas is coming early this year amen we just want 2020 to end but i got a feeling 2021 is going to be challenging to you guys amen oh that was really a downer thing to say wasn't it But we want Christmas early. So you see at a Christmas message, I'll give you some proof behind the proclamations that Jesus truly is the Christ. I'm going to do that a little early this year. So Christmas has already begun. I'm going to put up my Christmas tree here in the next couple of days. How about you? Let's just get it go. Oh, come on. We just blow through Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a holiday. My daughter's already put up her Christmas tree. She did it last week. You guys don't know what to think of me right now, do you? Anyway, all right, let's talk about Proof behind the proclamation. So Jesus proclaimed a Messiah. Jesus proclaimed that he was God. So let's, why, why would we listen to him? Well, he fulfilled so many prophecies. Let me give you an example of a few. I'm just going to blast through these really quick. In Micah chapter, two, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 2, the prophet uh, predicted that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. 500 years later, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the prophet said that Jesus would be born of a virgin. 700 years after that prophecy, we're told in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, that Jesus was born of a virgin Mary. 
I love this one in Zechariah chapter 11, verses 11 through 13. Zechariah predicted 500 years before Jesus that Jesus would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Over in Matthew 27, verses 3 through 10, we read the story how Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus for what? 30 pieces of silver. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, we're told by the prophet that Jesus would be led to, uh, like a lamb to the slaughter. When on trial before Pontius Pilate, we're told in Mark chapter 15, verse 5, that Jesus made the reply, he was like a lamb before the slaughter. This is my favorite one. Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm. It's about Jesus Christ. Um, It noticed that his garments would be um, divided by casting lots. So the Roman soldiers who crucified Jesus Christ divided his garments among themselves, but not wanting to tear his outer garment, they what? Casted lots for it to see who would get it. So it's been said that, uh, calculated by mathematicians, I love mathematicians, how about you guys? I started out school to be a math teacher. You still like me? Math's your friend. It's never your enemy. Math's a good thing. Anyway, it's been calculated by mathematicians that fulfilling just eight specific prophecies like this uh, um, has the odds of happening by chance of one over one followed by 17 zeros. I don't even know if you can wrap your mind around that. In other words, they're saying it's probability-wise, statistically-wise, impossible for it to happen by chance. If you can't get the math here, if you can't see one over one followed by 17 zeros, how, how large a number that is, imagine it this way. If you take the state of Texas, put silver dollars across the state of Texas, it'd be, this, this number would be uh, two feet thick of, of silver dollars would cover the state of Texas. That's one followed by 17 zeros silver dollars. Okay, you getting me? Now you take one silver dollar and you put a mark on it and you tell somebody, you go find that silver dollar. You've got one chance to find that silver dollar. That's the same odds of finding that silver dollar as having just eight prophecies by Jesus Christ fulfilled by chance. And I, I don't know about you, but our faith is a verifiable faith. Our faith is not a faith that does not have proofs. It's an informed faith, Amen. We're not sitting here in the dark, just blind faith people. Now, there are times when we should just, there are times when you just got to have faith, amen? But there, 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 there you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I worked on my faith with fear and trembling. I've looked at a lot of this stuff because I'm just curious. And the more I looked into it, the more affirmed I became in my faith. And so when Jesus says, I'm God and I'm the Messiah, and he's fulfilled all these prophecies, I say, okay. And it helps me to be okay with why is he the only way to God? Because he's truly God. God among us. And we need rescuing. We don't need options. We need rescuing. Jesus is not ordinary. He is distinct and divine. That's our summary to the message today. He is Messiah. He's the way maker. He's the savior. He's our liberator. He's divine. There's, he's one of a kind. That's why he's the narrow way to God. There is no other way to God. In this series, we've been answering 10 big questions, and we've gotten uh, well into that endeavor. It's like the 10 titles of our workouts, so to speak. The first one was, is life an accident, or am I here on purpose? The second one is, why do bad things happen to good people? The third one is, can I really trust God? Now, Pastor Aaron covered these last two, the last two weeks. Why can't I make my own rules? Why can't God just accept me the way I am? And I'm going to reemphasize something that Aaron said, because it's really important. These three messages kind of tie together. Uh, and, and if you don't understand this, see, God can't come to us and become like us, but we can become like him through Jesus Christ. 
And, and, and here, here let, me give, let me give you this, this point, and then I'll explain it uh, real quick, and then we'll go into communion. Why the way to God is only through Jesus is kind of the same answer that Aaron brought us to um, last week, is why can't God just accept me the way I am? Because it's a movement from unholy to holy. This is so important for us to get as Christ followers. It's a movement from unholy to holy. This is the only way we can go to God. Now, if you read the Bible, if you go to a book like Leviticus, it's like a primer. You know what a primer is? It's like the basic teaching of something. It's like the primer about this idea that God is holy. the, The whole primer of Leviticus is encapsulated in chapter 11, verse 44, where, where God says to his people, be holy as I am holy. Isaiah got to see the Lord. Isaiah the prophet got to see the Lord, and the seraphs were calling to each other, and they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And over in Psalm chapter 11, the psalmist says, Holy and awesome is the name of our God. You cannot read the Old Testament or the New Testament without understanding God's holy. Amen? And this holiness does not allow him to fellowship with unholiness. So God made a way for us to relate and be okay in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10.10 says we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is the way narrow to God? Why is it only through Jesus Christ? Because we need to be rescued. We're drowning in our sinfulness in the river of despair. And Jesus Christ, when we receive him, makes us holy and we can move from the status of unholy to being holy. And now we can be in relationship with a holy God. That's why the way is narrow. And like Kevin Meyer says, why would a loving God send, you know, people to hell? He doesn't. We do. We have to crawl over Jesus literally to go to hell. Because God has made him available to all who will call on his name. So here's our, our um, conclusion. The question often is, why is Jesus the only way to God? Well, the real question should be, why did God create a way at all? Amen? Why did he? Well, the answer, you know what the answer is? Love. He loves us. Our Savior loved us so much that like Victor did for his little relative, Vincent, he jumped in the river for us and died for us so that we can move from that status of unholy to holy. Amen? And we can be his beloved son or daughter. So I want to end here real quickly with some grown-up faith reflection. So we've been talking about how this should affect us mind, heart, and will. So listen, we've just gone through this workout. We're kind of doing a cool down. Now, Most of you work out, you don't cool down, do you? You just stop. Yeah, you might want to stretch. When you get older, you'll find out that stretching is your friend. But at any rate, I didn't do that this week. I was hiking like crazy. So we were going 15 to 20 miles a day hiking. I don't know if you ever hike like that. It's a workout. And uh, one day I noticed my back started hurting. And about two days after that, I thought, I can hardly walk. You ever had that where your back's out and it's hurting in your hip, going down your leg? It's, oh, no. I'm going to see Dr. Snyder this week. But anyway, um, uh, I go out again. No, I just, I just, I lift up water bottles. You ever do this? Like this? I know. I'm trying not to look at you, Ethan. Okay. Because he's a guy. So I'm, I'm, I'm leaning over my truck doing this to lift out a seven-gallon jug of water. 
which I don't know if you guys know math, is 56 pounds. So it's not that much, right? But I have a nice lever arm, and when I did it, I thought, to whack, you ever hear that? that? I said, oh, no. I said, sure, sure, I'll just stretch a little bit now. You know what I mean? Anyway, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but anyway. <laughs> we need to stretch. We need to cool down after the spiritual workout we just had. And here's what I want you to reflect on. It's kind of like stretching a little bit, you know? You ever do that thing? Yeah. Mind. The mind, our mind, needs to be settled on the fact that Jesus is the only way. It just needs to be settled on that fact. That is a fact, fact, fact of our faith. Jesus is the only way to God. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That needs to be settled. It's not narrow. It's not bigoted on our part. Because people need to be rescued. They don't need to have options. Amen? Unless we, we got to be convictional and believe that with all of our heart. Second, our hearts need to be assured that Jesus is our rescuer. We need to see him. We need to use that language. Jesus, you're my rescuer. You're my savior. You've, you, you've, you know, you're the captain of my salvation. Whatever language you want to use, but you need to be humble about it, and you need to admit your desperate need of being saved. Even if you've been saved for 40 years, and you don't remember what, it like, what it's like before you were saved, you still need to have this humility and this acknowledgement that you are you know, Vincent, and you're drowning, and you need Victor to pull you out of the water. Amen? And thirdly, our wills need to align to the way. I love how in the book of Acts that the people of God were called people of the way. They knew that Jesus was the way to God and the way to do life was to do it like he did life and they were just called people of the way. I want us to be called people of the way. We do life like Jesus here.